Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Ray. Ray is a female member of our church. She identifies as bisexual. We're not going to use Ray's full name. She's in the middle of sharing her story, and I respect that. Um, but she served a mission in the Florida, Fort Lauderdale mission, and was aware she was LGBTQ before she served. So we're grateful for Ray being on the podcast. And I just first wanted to thank one of our listeners for a review we got on Apple on September 13th, September 3rd from Season Color. I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who is trying to better understand LGBTQ issues. I appreciate the personal stories of courage, struggle, and growth in these episodes. This podcast and these stories are helping me to better understand how to love and minister to our LGBTQ plus individuals. So thank you, our listeners, for listening, and especially thank people like Ray, one of our LGBTQ members, is willing to come on the podcast and share her story. Um, Ray, you offered a wonderful prayer before we started, and so grateful for you being on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. Um, I'm a little bit behind on homework already, but life's been pretty good to me so far. And um, let's just start, we're going to start kind of post high school. As you were graduating from high school, um, and you then, I believe, went to BYU, were you aware of your, of your sexual orientation? And just tell people how you identify and how you came to terms with that. So um, I grew up in Utah, and I grew up in kind of like a pretty homophobic environment. Um, like I knew what gay people were, but I didn't really understand any of it. So when I was in high school, I had a couple little like crushes on girls. I'd like look at girls and be like, wow, she's really, really cute. Ah. But I like didn't have like a word for it. And I was very much like, but I know I like boys, so I can't be gay. Right. Which I think is like a very, a very bisexual feeling. Um, so when I graduated high school, I'd been like thinking about this for a long time. And I'd like been online and learning more about the queer community and everything and like different definitions and different identities. And so when like the fall after my high school graduation came around and I was my, it was my first semester at BYU, I like just finally decided to accept that. I was like, listen, like all of these feelings that you've been having, all of these thoughts and these like attractions, like that's not, you're not just making it up you are attracted to boys, but you're also attracted to girls. And like, you, that's a thing. And you might as well just like accept that that's part of who you are. And at the time I like, like I knew obviously what the church's stance on it was. And I didn't really feel like it would make a big difference in my life. Cause I was like, well, like I still like guys and I can, you know, marry a guy in the temple and like, that's fine. I can also have crushes on girls and like, it's not going to be a big deal. Um, but big surprise it started to become a big deal and um I like it it just it kind of like started to like eat away inside of me of like because I felt like there's this dichotomy like I felt like um being attracted to boys is like good and what God wants you to do and like holy and pure but being attracted to girls is like evil and of Satan and like you can't do it and so then I just started kind of like hating myself and feeling like I had like two separate halves and one of them 
God loved and the other one he didn't. So it was like, it was kind of a weird time for me. Um, That's really honest. That's very helpful. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, it was, it was weird. Um, but like, but I still, like, I knew that I wanted to be a member of the church. I had a lot of, a lot of it, like moments when I was like praying or reading my scriptures, I would like do it grudgingly because I felt like God hated me, but then something would happen while I was reading the scriptures that I like felt like was a message for me that was like, listen, I need you to stay on this path. And I was like, Oh my gosh, why? But <laughs> But but I stayed. Um, one of the things I've done, I've learned, I've sort of, um, before I stepped in this space, Ray, I, th I thought that the road as a bisexual was pretty easy, that they would just um, choose to marry the opposite, you know, gender in the temple, like you said, and go forward in their life. And it wasn't until I did a podcast with a friend named Brian and he, he married a woman, and he's bisexual, and he just talked about how he was kind of keeping this part of him to himself, and it was, he used some of the same language you did, is you were ashamed and embarrassed and felt this was some Satan, and it sort of brought him down, and it isn't like he wanted to have, you know, relations with everybody he saw, both men and women, but at times he would logically be attracted to men at the same time be attracted to women. Does any of that mm -hmm. resonate with you? And I guess what I'm trying to say is the more I understand the road of a bisexual Latter-day Saint, the more I realize that's a difficult road. Yeah, because like it seems kind of easy. And there is this element of it that is like easier than other LGBTQ like identities to stay in the church because there is there like there is a path that you yes. can walk. But it's still like it's still a hard path. And yeah, like, I mean, obviously nobody is attracted to everyone. Like there's, you know, everybody has preferences and types and standards, but like, but yeah, it's like, I, I would have friends who are really close to me that were both men and women that I would, you know, really, really like, and just really want to be their special person. And like, it was hard because like, especially going to BYU, I had this like, thing hovering over me that was like even if like even if you want to flirt with a girl like even if you do do this you could get expelled and it was like it was just kind of terrifying honestly because <laughs> then it was like every time I like looked at a girl I would be like but if she finds out I have a crush on her she'll turn me in and then I'll die like then <laughs> <And> you'll die <laughs> you know obviously hyperbole but that's scary and that's real. And I validate that. And I wouldn't want to say, well, you're overthinking it or, uh, you know, because I've just learned as I've listened to stories that I ha it's my job to really validate how you feel and recognize that's a real fear and not make you have to prove that to me. Um, tell me, do you, I mean, this is kind of where you are in your story. You're going back a little bit, but do you how do you feel about this part of yourself that's by now? Are you ashamed? Do you feel it's some Satan? Are you embarrassed about it? Do you look in the mirror and wish it would go away? Um, how do you feel about this part of you that at times is attracted to women? I I love it. Like I so as I as I talk a little bit more about my mission, I, I think I'll get more into how I came to this conclusion. But like 
I really do feel like this is how God made me. And like, it's great. And it's fun. And it's like, you know, and I mean, like, obviously, I'm still at BYU. And I've, I've made the decision now, happily, that I'm not going to date any girls. But like, I just like, but I, I don't feel ashamed of it anymore. And I don't feel like I have to prove it to anybody. Like, I just feel like it exists. And it's great. And like, I, you know, like, and, and I, I have this, this completely different way that I approach relationships in general, like friendships with, with all genders that I feel like is, is kind of unique to the fact that like, I don't understand gender in the same way that a lot of straight people do. So like, I, I don't know, I've, I've come to learn that, that it's like, it's a crucial part of my uniqueness. And it's something that God wants in his choir. Talk about that choir. Share with our listeners more about your thoughts about the choir. Um, well, I was referencing a talk by Elder Holland where he talks about like how God has a choir of diversity for a reason. Like he doesn't, when you have a choir, you don't want everyone to be a soprano. Like you don't want, those are, I'm, I'm going to, I'm paraphrasing now and just using my own words, but like using Elder Holmes' analogy of a choir, like you don't want everyone to sing the soprano part, which is often what happens because people don't know the harmonies and that's okay. But like, but like when you have a choir, you've got sopranos, altos, baritones, tenors, and there's often like other like things written in there for, for mezzo sopranos and, and like, I don't know, just like all of the different parts. And some people have like rough voices. Some people have really clear voices. And it just like, it's the whole, like everyone working together that makes the choir beautiful. It's not like, like, anyway, sorry. I, I could just keep going with that. But like, so I've learned that like, God doesn't want me singing the soprano part, which um, I've, I've been in choirs for a long time and I have a deeper voice. So I usually sing alto. And like for a long time, that was kind of hard for me because harmonies don't come naturally to me. So like the way that I could tell I was singing the right part was that it felt wrong for a long time. I was like, this is not the melody. This is not the part I'm used to hearing. And so that's how I know I'm singing it right. And then it got to this point where like um, I would start getting like it start it started to feel natural to sing the harmony and then I started second guessing myself like wait am I singing the melody am I singing the right part like I don't know I don't know if I'm doing this right and um but but then like eventually I realized that I had just become accustomed to actually singing my part and I feel like that relates a lot to my my journey with my sexuality is like I felt like I was supposed to be straight like I felt like I was supposed to be the soprano and then I learned that I I couldn't hit those notes that wasn't the right part for me so then I started trying to sing my part as a bisexual as an alto in this analogy and it felt wrong but that's how I knew that it was the part that had been like laid out for me and I just had to keep singing it until it started to feel more natural until I realized that even though this isn't the part the other people are singing this isn't the part that I've heard before this is my part and this is like, this is what's natural for me to sing. It's really cool, right? Um, a couple of questions come to my mind. What would you say if I said to you that you're just confused and Satan has confused you or you've been watching TV with LGBTQ people <laughs> and so you've just kind of gotten confused here? And I'm glad you're kind of chuckling. <laughs> 
I just I just heard it before. Um, I would say like, you know, maybe. I don't I don't know. I, I like you know, but I don't think so, because I have had many conversations with God about this, and He's told me differently. So, you know, I don't know all the secrets to the universe, but I know that. God knows that I'm attracted to women, and he's okay with it. So I, I don't have anything else to say. I, it's a great answer, Ray. Um, thanks for letting me put you on the spot. But I've, as I've met with um, LGBTQ people, I've, I've sort of gradually uh, come to terms that how they feel, their attraction shouldn't bring shame. So you being talking about at times being attracted to women, that brought a great deal of shame because it's not, you know, part of the normal plan, but be, I would say through your spiritual maturity and your relationship with God, and and maybe you still shame at times, you're real at peace with that. And I think then my feeling is that puts you in a better place to make better decisions because you don't look at yourself as broken or full of shame and then maybe make less less thoughtful decisions because you're not at your spiritual best. Why well, I think if you're at peace with who you are, you are more likely to have a better relationship with Heavenly Father and have a better framework for just making thoughtful decisions going forward. So shame to me is one of Satan's greatest tools to bring us down. Um, and sometimes shame is around sin, but other times shame is around something that's not sin and just how we feel. And if we're attracted to somebody of the same gender, that, as the church teaches, is not a sin. And so if it's not a sin, mm -hmm. we shouldn't feel shame. Behavior is a sin. Um, any th is that okay with you or any thoughts you'd like to share along those lines? I, I agree that, like, it's not something to be ashamed of. And, and shame often clouds our judgment. Um, yeah, like, I, I definitely felt ashamed for a very long time like the most more than half of my mission I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there like I felt like I had somehow lied because like even though like I told my bishop when, when I was sending in my papers and stuff I still felt like this was something that was supposed to make it so I couldn't serve a mission and so like I just felt like an imposter I felt ashamed I felt like so many, so many of the rules I felt like did not apply to me because there's so many like heteronormative rules about missionaries. Like you can't talk to boys about this thing. And like, you know, you can't go into their, you know, you can't go into the house of, of a single member of the opposite gender and stuff like that. And I was just like, none of these rules apply to me. Like I'm not supposed to be here kind of thing. Um, but, but yeah, I think that when we understand, because it, like, I think, Actually, no. Shame is a tool of the devil. Shame is always a tool of the devil. Like, whenever, when, when we do sin, like, Heavenly Father wants us to want to be better. He wants us to recognize that, that we made a mistake. But shame always, like, halts progression, no matter what the shame is about. And, like, we all, like, yeah, so just, we, we need to kill shame culture. We need to realize that it's not something that our Heavenly Father wants us to feel because it doesn't help us at all. And and just, like, realize that, that He loves us always, no matter what, and that, like, there's certain things that are mistakes that need to be rectified, and there are other things that are just, like, part of us, like sexuality, that 
is not, you know, it's not something that, that needs to be redeemed because it's, it's just, it just is. I don't know. That's very thoughtful. I keep forgetting I'm talking to a 21 year old because it's, because you have spent a lot of time in personal prayer and revelation, understanding who you are, and you have a depth of understanding here that's really remarkable. And it gives, me, it gives me faith in our younger LGBTQ members that they have, you know, it's just, they're, they're just in a better spot each year of coming to terms with their sexual orientation and being at peace with it and then making, I think, really wonderful decisions. Now, those of you that are older, I don't want to infer that doesn't apply to you, but I just see a maturing. Uh, talk about why you take the term queer. I'm 58, and that was a term that would be a very derogatory term, but you use the word queer. Share with our listeners why you use that term. Um, I just, I, I see it as kind of like an umbrella term. I've seen a lot of posts on, on the internet of like people who have lived through all of the different like uses of queer and like how, how the community has retaken it and everything. And I understand if some people don't really relate to it, but I just, I, I find it a useful word because personally saying LGBTQ, sometimes like I trip over my tongue. So just like saying, saying queer to kind of, you know, umbrella, just everybody who's not cisgender, heterosexual, who just like maybe doesn't necessarily know which, which label they, they fit under, or maybe they are, you know, demi or ace or something that doesn't really always get included when you say LGBT. Like, I, I feel like queers is a very useful term to use. And also, sometimes when I say bi, like, I feel like it's just so short that, like, people don't know what it means, which I don't, I don't know if that makes any sense. But so then I like to say, like, queer, so people recognize that I'm just, like, I'm not straight. I don't want to define it right now, but. <laughs> That's very helpful. As you interact with other BYU students that are queer, do most take on, I assume that you might, you know, I don't know if you go to USGA at BYU and have interaction with other LGBTQ students, do most take on the queer label? Do most take on a letter underneath that label? So one of the things about USGA, first of all, I haven't really been back since I got back from my mission because they like took a break and the school year just started back up. So I haven't talked to a ton of people recently. But when I was going before my mission, they have like a, a part of the like clause where it's like you don't, ask people about their sexuality because they wanted to be a safe space for everybody obviously so I didn't have that many conversations with people about like their labels and stuff like I would tell people I was bi but like there wasn't most of the time we just talk about life in general without really getting into like deeper stuff I don't know I also just wasn't very good at making friends (laughs) (laughs) well that's that's a that's a fine answer and I think it's good for our listeners just to understand that you the way you very well explained the word queer and just that that. So I hope that everybody, when they hear that word, is not triggered and doesn't think that, you know, that could be uh, that, you know, when you take on that label, you're a faithful member of our church, a return missionary that's taking on the word queer. And if that's triggering to anybody, I just encourage us to to recognize or sort of reprogram our minds not to be triggered by that. It's the same with the pride flag. The pride flag can generate a lot of thoughts in our members' minds of things that are outside the doctrine of our church or represent 
um, protests against our church, but a lot of um, active LDS families have the pride flag hanging on their in their house, on the outside of their house, or have paintings that reflect really Christ's love for everybody. There's a message in the pride flag about Jesus said, love everybody. So I just encourage our listeners as they're trying to learn about this space to kind of deprogram themselves a little bit and recognize that some of these um, things are evolving in a, in a different way than we once learned. Talk about um, your desire to serve a mission, Ray. Is this, if I talked to you in junior high and high school, would you said, yeah, I'm definitely going to mission, or is this something that came once you're at BYU? I, I've, I wanted to go on a mission since I was like five. That's awesome. Um, I, I always had this, like, I, I guess a little bit of anger about like the different expectations set on men and women. And I also always just wanted to do whatever my older brother did. So as soon as I learned that my older brother was supposed to go on a mission, I was like, I'm going on a mission. And on top of that, my older sister did not want to go on a mission because she thought it sounded scary. And I was like, anything that scares my older sister, I'm doing because I, I was like that. So, so I, I just like kind of out of spite wanted to go on a mission since I was really little. Um, eventually both my older siblings served missions and I just like, I thought it was amazing. I loved reading their emails. I, I felt like when they came home, they were so much more like, calm and like centered and stuff like that and so I was like yeah this is definitely something I want to do but while my sister was on her mission was when I realized that I was bi and like accepted it and that did kind of create like a chain reaction for me where I started distancing myself from the church and I stopped like it was also just kind of hard because it was like I was in college I had like this crazy schedule sometimes I was too tired on Sundays or I had too much homework or like I would spend like a month and a half where every Sunday it was somebody's farewell or somebody's homecoming. So I never went to my own ward. And like, it just generally, like my relationship with God was kind of deteriorating. And then on top of that, I had this big question of like, can you be queer and a member of the church? Like, can you actually do that? And so I had kind of like, but also I'd been telling people for years that I was going to go on a mission and I'd like, planned that like I was going to do two semesters of college and then go on a mission and I didn't really have any other life plan <laughs> and so um I just kind of was like I I guess I'm going to stick with it and my sister got home from her mission in April um and I like and I had a discussion with her and like I realized how much her mission had meant to her and just like how how happy she was that she'd done it and how much she understood God better. And I was like, you know, like I know I want to have a relationship with God. At that point, I didn't know like in what organization I necessarily wanted that relationship to be in. But I was like, going on a mission helps you develop a relationship with God. And I know that I should do it. So I put in my papers. I left the following December and Did you come started... up to your bishop or your stake president as bi during that process? I think you mentioned earlier in the podcast a little bit about that, but just talk to our listeners about that. Yeah, so something that that I've just always liked to do is like because I felt so so frustrated that like I didn't know any queer members of the church like that were active in my ward kind of thing. Like I, I just didn't didn't know anybody. I wanted 
everyone to know who I was kind of thing. And not to say that like I get up in testimony meeting and tell everybody, but because like, I don't like I, that's that's not necessarily something you should do. But um, but I always tell my bishops like first time I meet a bishop, I'm like, listen, here's just a little bit about me, you know, just so that like a they know that we exist. You know, they they know that there's members of their congregation who are not straight. Um, and B, so that like, if anything does happen, they would they you know fair warning. <laughs> not that I not that I expect anything to happen, but like, I don't know. Um, so so I had told my my bishop, my my YSA bishop at the time, as I was filling out my mission papers, um, and I and I did tell my stake president. There was actually a little bit of like. Um, a little bit of waiting period on my papers because of that because I told him that I was bi and that I was kind of like uncertain of my ability to teach certain things on my mission and he was like listen like you have to you have to believe what you're teaching people you can't just spout things and, and pretend that that you believe it so like he assigned me to read through preach my gospel for like two weeks and then get back to him um, and like and like pray really hard to like have a testimony of certain things. So I did that, and then he was like, "All right, like I think you know you're you're good to go there's there's nothing there's really no reason for you to not go on a mission, so go ahead kind of thing that's that's thanks for sharing that. No one's ever shared sort of that experience with the priesthood leader. Um, as you're trying to both navigate the space, did reading preach my gospel put you at? It was that helpful for you? It it really was like, um, because I I hadn't really. I I feel like one thing about growing up in the church is that you kind of accidentally get distant from like the pure, simple gospel, like. I feel like you, you hear it so often that you're just kind of like, yeah, 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 like faith, repentance, baptism, like whatever, let's talk about Adam and Diamond. And then like, um, and then you just like get confused and, and there's all these policies and doctrines and church history and all of this stuff to know that you kind of forget like what the main point of it all is. So reading through the first few chapters of Preach My Gospel were really, it was really like orienting for me because I was like, this is the church. Like, we're, we're not just talking about, like, oh, yeah, like, like prophets and, and don't drink coffee and stuff. Like, it's Jesus Christ. Like, the whole point is, is to develop a relationship with God and understand Jesus Christ and fulfill your potential as a child of God. And, like, I just, I needed to remember all those things. And then I was like, you know what? Like, I, this is important stuff. And yeah, I've got like some questions about certain aspects of things, but, but I, I know that God loves me and I know that Jesus Christ is my savior. And like, that's the point. So that was like, it, it was kind of like eye opening for me because it, it helped me reorient my testimony. That's really cool. It makes me want to reread, preach my gospel, um, Ray. And I <laughs> think good. of the letter, my our missionary son sent from the MTC. And he says, you know, mom and dad, it's really just about bringing people to Christ. The longer mm -hmm. I'm here on my mission in the MTC, the more I'm simplifying it, that my mission is to bring people to Christ. And the, 
and the church does that. And so I think, because I do have people reach out like with the same kind of questions you have, and many of our YSAs serving missions or thinking about serving missions that are straight wonder how, you know, what they'd say to an LGBTQ person because um, they w- want to sustain and support our doctrine, but they recognize that there's people that that doctrine's harder to follow or live if you're gay or lesbian. And so I think, and they're just being thoughtful. They're not being rebellious. They're not trying to change our doctrine. They're just trying to wonder how that'll navigate. And a few I've given the advice of, well, just put that on a shelf. Um, if and you'll and just if that situation comes up, just pray to Heavenly Father to know what to say. But don't not serve a mission now because of some future conversation you may have with an LGBTQ person. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, and I think some ask me, what would your advice be to someone that's LGBTQ? That's um, would you say they should come out to their priesthood leader? as they're filling their papers out, or do you feel like they, that's a personal decision that everybody needs to decide for themselves? I mean, I feel like it's a personal decision, but from my experience, I would highly recommend it just because for me, that's a, that's a tool that, that Satan used against me very often was like, well, they don't know this. And if they knew it, you don't know how they'd react. So it could, you know, it's like if they knew they would like stone you, you know, like, it, like I'm being ridiculous, but, but like that was, that was a, a common thing throughout my mission. Like every new companion I would get, Satan would immediately be there. Like your companion doesn't know that you're bi. You're like, if your companion knew that you're attracted to girls, she'd, she'd be uncomfortable around you. If, if she knew that, you know, if she knew that you, you can't, say that one line when you're teaching the law of chastity lesson, she would like think you're a failure as a missionary, you know, like, so she, it was just like, he'd just like pick away at me until finally I was like, you know what, this is ridiculous. I'm just giving him ammunition. You know how I can know that all of this is not true by telling her or by telling my, my like mission president or my, or my bishop. And then like, then Satan you can't tell me they'd react a certain way because they didn't. And like, now we're all fine. And I know that they, that they like me, which I have to say, I was really lucky in that I had only, well, mostly positive experiences with coming out to people on my mission. Did you come out to your mission president then and all your companions? Yes, I did. Um, mission, but like I said, the same that I do with my bishops, I did with my mission president, which like at the beginning of my mission, I was still really rebellious. Like I was, I kind of, had given myself like, you know, I was like, okay, let's see if I can make it to the MPC. And then I did. And then I was like, okay, let's see if I can make it to like my six month mark. And if I can't, like I'm going home and I'm done with this forever. Kind of like I was that missionary at the beginning of my mission. Um, which I, I think they're surprising when a missionaries that do that, which is, it's, it's, it's great. Cause almost all of them are like, like learn that God loves them and that this is great. And they stay, but, um, but I, so yeah, so I told my mission president, like, first day, like, we sat down, he was like, is there anything you want me to know about you? And I was like, well, okay, here, like, I'm bi, and I'm angry, <laughs> kind of, kind of, like, I don't remember exactly what I said, but, but we, I established that I was not okay with, with current, like, goings on, and I was tired, and I wasn't entirely sure what kind of missionary I was going to be, and he was just like, all right, um, 
he actually he said something that really was helpful to me which was like like because I told him at the time I had a friend that I had been kind of in love with for a long time like I'd never told her but she'd been like the most important person in my life for a while um and she'd been on my mind a lot while I was like in the MTC and I just like missed her a lot so I told my mission president that I was like I have like if there's a girl back home I really like and I don't know if that's like gonna cause issues or whatever and he said like I don't want you to think that I'm going to treat you any differently than any other missionary just because you told me that there's a girl back home that you like. And that was, that's great. I don't know. Yeah. That was pretty powerful for me. Like kudos to him for that reaction. Cause it like, cause like I said, I felt like one of my main things was I felt like I was an imposter. Like I felt like I was different. Like I wasn't supposed to be there. And so like hearing that my first day in the field was like really just like settling because I was like, Oh, like I'm not, I'm not going to be treated differently. I'm not going to be an outcast. Like I'm just, I'm just another missionary. And that was, that was really helpful. I like that. Tell us our list. I love your mission presence response. That's a very thoughtful response. And I hope our listeners um, took that in because if this is how you you're created and you have, a, and you're not full of shame for how you're wired and you, you would naturally have crushes on boys and girls. Um, and to me, there's no sin at that point. Um, just like, and your mission presence saw that. And so instead of filling you with shame for having a crush on your same gender, um, he took all that shame away and just helped you feel good about who you are. Um, and just compared that to, you know, a young man or young woman serving that had a crush on the opposite gender back home if I understand that correctly, talk then about coming out to your companions. How did that go down? <laughs> um, it was different every time. I'll, I'll try not to do like a, a play-by-play because that'll take a little while. I had like 12 companions. No, not, not that many, but um, um, there were some that it was really easy to come out to. There's one in particular, shout out to Sister Moreno, she's my best friend, um, that like she was the only one that I didn't have that, that struggle that I was talking with or I was talking about earlier. Cause like, I don't know why I just felt like I could just be myself around her. Like both of us had been on the mission for about the same amount of time. And I didn't feel like I needed to like prove to her that I was a good missionary. Um, Cause we were just kind of in the same boat. And so like when I came out to her, it was like, way later than I had come out to anybody else because I didn't feel the need to, like, I didn't feel like I had to, to prove anything to her. Um, and then like, she just laughed and was like, wow, like, that's great. You, you like, you just have all the options kind of thing. And then we just like moved on. And, um, it was just like, it was just funny, but then I had other companions that it was like really hard. And like I said, I never really had a negative reaction like usually I would just tell people and they would be like kind of surprised and then be like, well, like, I love you and, and you're great. Let's go teach someone about Joseph Smith. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, um, but, but I did have, I did have some moments that were like, it was just scary internally because I built up in my head this idea that, that the person wasn't going to be receptive. Tell our listeners, I love just the, you sharing those, and I have to think if we had all your missionary companions on, that you were, in some cases, the very first queer LDS person 
that they've talked to and how helpful that is. And I would guess some of these companions are going to end up having queer children and they'll reflect back to you, Ray, and the missionary you are and your very, their very first experience with somebody that's queer and saw you for who you are and your Christ-like attributes and your ability to bring people into Christ. So I sort of think of a rock thrown or a little pebble thrown into a big lake and there's a lot of just wonderful ripples that have been created because of your service with your fellow missionaries and and perhaps even the leaders you're coming out to and the ward members you're coming out to because you're humanizing you're humanizing who you are and it's hard to demonize a group of people when they're your own people and your own friends and people that you're working with. Talk about yeah. why being um, you could go back to that comment if, or, and you, or you could also ask her answer this question. Talk about why being bi made you a better missionary. Um, well, my mission president would often say to me that like, um, I mean, I, I feel kind of weird, like talking about my own good qualities, I guess, but, but he would tell me a lot that I was a non-judgmental person that like I had been, I, I don't know that, that because of who I was, because I felt that like I was ostracized or whatever, I had the just natural inclination to not ostracize other people who may have felt like they were different, who may have felt like they didn't fit in. Um, uh, and in, in a lot of different ways, I think it helped me because First of all, it helped me to develop a relationship with God that I don't think I would have developed otherwise because, like, because um, it helped me learn to really trust him and to really kind of set aside my own will and my own questions and, like, focus on, like, well, okay, what do you need me to do today, you know, rather than, like, thinking 20 years in the future and trying to trying to figure out what God's whole plan is, but just, like, being like, okay, today who do you need me to talk to about the gospel of Jesus Christ? And just like kind of setting myself aside. Um, but on top of that, I think that it helped because like, there, I had a lot of companions who were really scared. Like we'd see like a rainbow flag in the, in the window and they'd be like, we're just not going to knock on that door. And I'd be like, listen, there are brothers and sisters too. Like, I don't want to show up. I did have the problem of like, sometimes maybe it seemed like we were trying to like, you know, tell them to repent and be like, oh no, don't be gay. But like, cause like I, I'm not perfect. I don't know what to say when you immediately meet people. But like, I did have a couple interactions where like we had knocked on somebody's door, like having no idea who they were. They opened the door, we talked a little bit back and forth. And then they were like, listen, like I have a difficult relationship with, with religion in general because I'm gay and like churches are mean to me and my husband. And I was like, oh man, like I get that. And like, I am also like I'm bi and I understand that that's hard. And I just want to tell you that God loves you and that like, I know he loves you and he wants you to have a relationship with him. And like, I never had the opportunity to really teach like many, like I, I didn't have any like investigators, but we don't call them that anymore. Um, who were, who, who identified as LGBTQ, but like, I had little tiny interactions and like, I just had the, like where other missionaries kind of would freeze up and be like, Oh no, they're gay. Like, what do I do? I don't want to offend them. I don't know what to say. Like, I would just immediately be like, God loves you. And like, I can tell you that. 
And I, I, I feel like that was helpful. I hope it helped some people. Like, I hope that it, it helped them understand that religion isn't about hating the gays. It's about like getting to know God. That's powerful. Religion is not about hating the gays. Religion is about getting to know God and coming into Christ. And that's exactly what Preach My Gospel teaches. Um, yeah. I, I think that's really honest where you say that a lot of missionaries would freeze up. I froze up. I didn't, you know, my journey into this space was when I was a singles word bishop and started to listen to some of my gay members, but I did, I froze up. I remember seeing a high school buddy in the Amsterdam airport that I knew was gay and knew that he was standing next to his husband. We were in Facebook friends and I froze. Ray, and mm-hmm. I didn't even go and say hi to this guy because I knew he was gay. And I was so mad at myself for the rest of the flight home. I saw him in customs 12 hours later, and I still didn't say hi to him. Oh. Um, but I eventually went out to dinner with him and his husband once I just understood the space better. And I was so grateful to have dinner with him and his husband and just see them. Yeah, they're living outside the doctrine of our church that I invite everybody to stay, but they're not out living outside of God's love or my ability to be their friend. And mm-hmm. I, I love what you did there. It reminds me of, we had an earlier podcast where a man talked about his son who volunteered in circle and his son's straight, but they tried to connect with this space. And this young man was in um, at the Alamo on his first day of his mission in San Antonio. They took him to the Alamo and... Um, there was a gay man at the Alamoni and the other missionaries, you know, didn't know what to say. And he just went over to him and, um, and he just wouldn't look up at this missionary, but this missionary just did the same thing you did. He says, God loves you. And he just stopped looking at his phone and looked up to this elder and was touched. And God loves all of his children. And what a wonderful message. Every missionary can bring that message to every one of heavenly father's children and to come into mm-hmm. Christ and to grow and, and improve. And so I think if you're LGBTQ or you're worried about teaching LGBTQ um, or if you're unsettled about everything the church does with LGBTQ, I think you can just say, well, I'll just take that on a case-by-case basis. And if I meet LGBTQ people, I'll do just what you did, Ray. I'll tell them that God loves them. Um I remember a brother, an elder who had a gay family member, his mother posted on Facebook and just talked about what her straight son did on the mission when they found a couple, um, two women that were in a same-sex relationship. And, you know, he ended up, I think he ended up giving both a blessing just to let them know that God loved them. So I think yeah. those, that's kind of cool stories. And I love the way you're able to identify with people um, because you have a harder road and so then can kind of walk on their road they may not be LGBTQ, but they just may have other things that make their road a little mm-hmm. harder. And I love the way your mission president recognized that about you. And so instead of making you fit into a heteronormative culture or kind of dismissing you being bi, he helped you feel like you belong because he mm-hmm. valued who you are and your ability to be in the choir and reach people. And I, to me, that just makes me happy because it's more likely um, you're going to stay in our church, Ray, if you feel like you belong and feel like you're needed and, and that we love you just the way you are. And we need your gifts and contributions to help us become the body of Christ. And because otherwise, you know, we lose a lot of our LGBTQ members. They just don't feel welcome or feel like they belong. 
Mm-hmm. Any more thoughts on any of that, Ray, your mission or any experiences you had there? Any thoughts? Um, well, I did kind of want to get like, talk a little bit about how I became more comfortable with it because Dude. the first half of my mission was, was definitely difficult for me. Like when it came to my testimony, um, I, I know in, in a previous podcast, you talked about how a lot of LGBTQ people feel like a mission is kind of like a repose because it's like, Oh, yeah. there's like no pressure to date. There's like, you know, you, you get to just kind of focus on like the gospel and stuff like that. But like, for me, it was very much the opposite of that. Um, it was, it kind of felt like it was definitely a, a refiner's fire. That's how I like to describe it. Um, because it's just kind of like, like the first, big chunk of my mission. It's like I would have good days and then I would have really bad days where I felt like I didn't belong and where I felt like God didn't love me or like I couldn't feel the spirit's guidance because I was gay or whatever. Um, I had a lot of, a lot of friends that helped me even without necessarily knowing that I was bi. Um, I wanted to like, I, I wanted to give a shout out to a few people that helped me a lot on my journey to like accepting that God loves me specifically like president Garns, He's a great president. Um, sister Smith, my trainer, elder Ward, sister Isham, elder Harris, just for being my friend. Um, sister Moreno, sister Doyle, sister Richards. Um, they're all, they're all just they're all just people that for one reason or another like they helped me feel like I belonged and that was really crucial for me and then eventually I got to a point where like man I don't even know how to put this into words but like I the hardest point on my mission was October General Conference. Um, There was a certain talk given that kind of made me feel like I was being torn apart. And I just didn't understand because I had been, I've been struggling a lot just in general with missionary work that transfer, like both my companion and I were having like personal issues and all of our friends that we were teaching were having issues and it just kind of felt like nothing was getting done. And then this talk happened and it like, I felt like it was like calling me out as like a sinner for even considering that the world might be more complicated um, <laughs> when it comes to gender and sexuality than, than a lot of people think. And like, it just, it just felt horrible. And in between sessions, my companion and I were going to like, like we went home really fast to like get some things and then we were going to go out and work and and try to like invite more people to conference and I just sat down on my bed and I started crying and I just could not like I just couldn't stop and my companion came in and saw me crying and was like uh what do I do um and eventually eventually I decided to call our mission president and this was like this was the first time in my life that I had really 
put in towards these feelings, which I was like, I don't know. I just, I ended up, like, I called my president. I told him I was frustrated, and he he was kind of trying to calmly explain, like, yeah, like, this is, you know, th- th- this is the, the church's stance on it. Like, this is, you know, like, it's not new news. And I was like, yeah, I get it. Like, I get, I get that this is what the church has always said about gender. I, I, I understand that this is what the church has always said about sexuality. But what I don't understand is, like, if this is so against God's plan, then why did he make me this way? And it was the first time I'd asked that question. It was the first time I'd even, like, considered really truly that that this could be something that was like fundamentally wrong with me um and I ended up kind of like scream crying at my president over the phone and so he he so he told me he was like okay like tomorrow morning I'm gonna come visit you and so then he did um how long of a drive was how long of a drive was that for him I think about an hour and a half okay it's not a it's not a really big mission um but he did have like a lot of other things happening the next day, but he, he drove out to, to see me Sunday morning and he talked with me and um, I, I honestly, to this day, like I don't really remember what we talked about, but I just remember feeling this like intense amount of like love and trust both from him and from my heavenly father that was just like, you know, I like not really an answer to my question, but like a, like I knew that Heavenly Father trusted me and that he wanted me to be on a mission and he wanted me to be me on a mission. And there was like, and there was nothing wrong with me. And then throughout the rest of the day, there were two more conference talks given on in the Sunday sessions of conference that really, really resonated with me and helped me understand that like, Nobody is preordained to fail. There's nothing, you know, Heavenly Father didn't think like, oh, you know, Ray is like, she's an all right daughter of God, but just to make sure that she doesn't quite make the celestial kingdom, I'm going to make her buy. Like, (laughs) that's not, that's not how he, how he works, which is honestly like what I had started to think. I started to think like, why would he give me this? if it's something that's going to, to detain me from, from achieving salvation, like why, well, exaltation, everyone's going to get salvation, but, um, um, and, and yeah, I just, I just learned in that, in that session of general conference that God's goal is for everybody to come home to him. And there's nothing that he's going to let happen on earth that would make it impossible for you to get home to him. Like it's always within the realm of possibility and and he loves and because he loves you and even if you know the life that that you end up having on earth doesn't look like the stereotypical picturesque um you know perfect celestial life like that's not god's not going to judge you on what everybody else judges your life on he's going to judge you on your heart and like the person that you become and he's going to love you for that person, no matter what, like, and he's going to help you succeed. Do you remember um, who gave those two conference talks on the Saturday, Sunday afternoon session that helped you feel better? Neither of them were apostles. Okay. 
I don't. I remember one of them, his first name was Gay, which I thought was funny. Um, And that could be Elder Gay. I bet you're thinking of Elder Robert Gay, who's... It could be. Yeah, he gave a talk about giving his sister a blessing that was never really active in the church. Yes, him. Yeah. And there was another one who, at the beginning, he talked about how his wife had always felt like, for one reason or another, she wasn't enough. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I just love you sharing that story, Ray, because it's it's a ministering story to me of what we do to help other people when they feel uncomfortable about something in our church, whether it's a lesson, a conference talk, a policy. Um, there's just at times where really faithful members feel uncomfortable. And then what do we do when you bravely open up? So I don't know if your mission presence li- listening, but I just want to give him a big hug. And I'm sure you do too for, for creating an environment where you knew you could talk to him. And you knew he was safe to talk to. And even though it was a difficult conversation, you knew you could have that conversation with him. And then you're right, he probably had other stuff going on, but he got in his car and says, I care enough about you as one of my missionaries that I'm going to go visit with you. And I love what you said is you don't now remember what he said, but you remember two things. You remember he loved you and he reminds you how God loved you. And that's all you needed to kind of get through that. And perhaps if we had handled that differently, that little bit of wedge between you and the church because of that talk could have grown and grown. Um, but, and, and then those next two talks and, you know, those next two talks were the doctrine of our church too. So I think mm-hmm. I just, I, I honor how difficult that conference talk was for you because I've heard many report to me how difficult that was. And, um, yeah, there was no new doctrine in that talk, but it was just a difficult talk regardless. Um, you knew mm-hmm. all the doctrine before that talk. You weren't taught new doctrine, but it just made you feel uncomfortable as well as many of our other members. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's just part of our journey in the church, and we have to validate how people feel, and then what do we do? And that's why I love this story, not only you, sharing with a trusted priesthood leader, you being uncomfortable, but you kind of hanging in there and your priesthood leader helping and, and then having other talks that were very helpful allowed you to move forward. So that's a kind of a beautiful moment, but I would say it's a pivot moment where, you know, how we handle when people reach out with honest concerns is one of our key things as we minister to others, how we handle those tender moments. Um, And that's a home run moment. Any more yeah. thoughts on that experience? And um, I love you sharing that. Other things you'd like to share? Um, I found the two talks. So for the first one's called The Father by Brian K. Ashton. And then the second one is Taking Upon Ourselves the Name of Jesus Christ by Robert C. Gay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're fast. Uh, that elder gay talk is the one that I share the first four minutes of that talk. I spoke in a, a fireside in a, in a Provo ward, a regular home ward recently in September of 2019. And I shared the first four minutes of that talk as part of my presentation of the ward about our LGBTQ members. And um, 
there's just some wonderful quotes of Brigham Young in the first part of that talk and Joseph Smith. Mm-hmm. There's sort of talks about trying to not have it be us versus them <laughs> narrative, yeah. um, which I think a lot of our younger members don't particularly enjoy the us versus them um, and that we can maybe live a higher law, which is take the beautiful message or restored gospel um, to the people of the world without taking on other people. We can have a fact-based discussion about the difference between our church and others, but it doesn't need, we don't need to sort of invoke fear or demonize or pull down or tear down. That, for more of our millennials, is just not how they're wired. They don't want a, a, a gospel that does that. And and then we look at Christ and the way he taught, and we don't, we can pattern what he did. We don't have mm-hmm. to do um, demonizing other groups of people to sort of make our message stand. <laughs> yeah, I think that one of my favorite things about our church is that, like, it was founded upon the idea that there is truth in many different sources. And, like, I I do believe that it's the, the only church that has like all of the saving ordinances that we need, but that doesn't mean it's the only church that has truth. And it doesn't mean that we necessarily have all of the truth right now. We have all the truth that that God needs us to have for whatever reason at this specific period of time. But like, there's so many, there's so much truth in the world. There's so much goodness. There are so many things that are inspired of God and that, and that encourage people to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ, even things that don't necessarily mention Jesus Christ in them. Like there's things that teach us to have faith. There's things that teach us to become better people and to repent. And like, I just think it's like sometimes members of the church can have a little bit of a narrow focus because they, they, because they genuinely want to stay within like what they know is, like has been approved by church leaders as doctrine. But I feel like sometimes that like narrows our view of life because it's like God doesn't just exist if you've like been baptized by priesthood authority. Like he exists for everyone all the time and he communicates with all of his children in different ways. So it's like there's a lot more places to look and to learn about him. I very much agree with that and very comfortable with that. And um, and I've seen God work. You know, God would want all of his children to feel his love and would want all the world religions in some ways to be successful that are based on him and his mm-hmm. son and teach core principles. It seems like mortality is set up so that 99% of his children will never hear of our restored church that I believe in and support. And so I don't like other religions failing in some ways. I like ISIS failing. <laughs> and I like radical, you know, re, you know, mm-hmm. groups that are trying to destroy and take away liberties yeah. of others. But, but I do yeah, at the same it, time, like you, recognize that there's doctrine in our church that's unique to our doctrine, our church that is restored. And mm-hmm. I believe in our church, and I invite people to consider it and join. Yeah. And, and so... That's I share the same view I do, and to, and having that view isn't like we're selling out our church, or um, in fact, that almost I almost it's easier to have that view if we totally understand our doctrine and the plan yeah. of salvation and a pre-earth life and a post-earth life and the grand plan. It gives mm-hmm. me more peace that there are people outside of our faith, 
and God is talking to them and wants them to be successful. And it's not everybody's journey in this mortality for some reason to hear about our church or get a fair shake mm -hmm. um, to be able to join it. So I love that. Um, talk to um, those of our listeners that are queer and thinking about serving a mission. What advice would you have for them? So obviously it's, it's like it's a personal choice. It's a decision, decision between you and God. But I know personally that when people would say that to me, I would always hear like low-key them telling me not to do it. So I'm just going to go ahead and say like I, I highly recommend serving a mission. I, and like it will be difficult for many different reasons. Like it'll be difficult because the schedule is hard and because you have to talk to people and learn new skills and learn to live with somebody else for 20, like 24 seven in close quarters. And like, you know, all of the normal things that are hard about missionary work. Um, but I think it's so rewarding because like, I, I can honestly say that if I had not gone on a mission, I would not be a member of the church today. Like I did not understand what the doctrine was. I did not have a deep relationship with God and I didn't know where I was taking my life. Um, so I would be in a very different place right now if I hadn't gone on a mission. And I'm extremely grateful that I decided to go, even though those first few months were really rough. Like it, it helped me understand how to study the scriptures and how to recognize God's love and how to find joy in serving other people. And I think that it's a, it's a, a crucial experience for every member of the church, especially in this day and age. Um, I feel like, I really feel like everyone should serve a mission. I love that. Talk about any experiences. We've mentioned a few with, you know, tracting and seeing a flag. Any other, any one or two experience you'd like to share with our listeners from your mission? Um, there was one that I thought was really cool that like, um, what, so I think it was my third to last transfer. Yeah. I was, so I, I was like, you know, over the halfway point, I'd been on a mission for a while. I kind of knew the drill. Um, and I had really come to this point where I finally was like confident in, in finding the balance between like my sexuality and the church and like being able to promise people that like, following God's commandments will bring blessings, including this specific aspect of the law of chastity, which was like something that had been hard for me for a long time. Like I would like tell people like, Oh yeah, you have to wait until marriage. And also like, you're not supposed to be gay or something. Um, Cause like, and, and I mean like to, to this day, that's still something that like, I don't quite understand, but anyway, so, so I'd gotten to this good point and I happened to have an interview with my president and he told me, he's like, there's a couple of sisters who are actually teaching a young woman who identifies as a lesbian and she and her whole family want to get baptized, but they don't quite know how to, how to teach her about this point. And so they, these sisters had reached out to the mission president's wife thinking that like, I don't know, she's just like really nice and kind and knows the doctrine and knows how to teach it. Um, and so they'd reached out to his wife to ask for her help to like Skype into their lesson. 
but my mission president was like, I was thinking like, well, we have a missionary who is kind of like, you know, has personal experience with this. So he wanted to ask me if, if I would call into their, to their lesson and help talk to this girl about the church's beliefs um, about queer people. And so I got to call the sisters who were teaching her. And I mostly like, I still, I still to this day feel like I didn't get to say everything I wanted to say, but I, I made sure that, that as I talked to this, to this young woman that like, I just made, like, I just drove the point home that like heavenly father loves you and he's always going to love you. And he like, he made you the way that you are for a reason. And he also blesses people when they keep his commandments. I think you mentioned at the beginning of your podcast, you hope to go to the temple and be married to a man and um, have a family. Is that true? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm going to give a leading question here that I think whoever you marry um, will, I assume you will tell them that you're bi and he, he will end up um, thinking that's really awesome about you and not like a liability or not like um, a part of you that he wishes weren't there. The, I realize not every guy may feel that way, but I would guess the guy that's going to marry you will love you for everything about you and recognize the wholeness of you and the goodness of you and your ability to be a wonderful wife and mother and contributor in their partnership. Do, is, do you have that hope or do you think, do you feel different than that? I certainly have that hope. Um, I did, like someone once implied to me that like, my bisexuality is something that I would want to like keep a secret from my future husband. And I was like, I can't even keep this a secret from like my, like my Bishop or my roommate, like how in the world am I supposed to marry somebody and not tell him that I'm bi? Like, this is, this is something that like, I'm not, if, if somebody's going to be weird about it, then he's not my match, you know, like this, this is, this is a part of me that has to be accepted if anyone wants to, to be in an eternal companionship with me. Um, and I, I did want to say, like, I've come to this point where, like, I, when it comes to my dating life, I just want to include God in every step of the way. And so, like, yeah, that's, like, I just, I just want to make sure that whenever I have an idea about, like, where I want to go, like, who I'm attracted to, who I want to date. Like, I want to ask God about it because, like, I don't know. It might be in God's plan for me to marry a woman. At this point, from the conversations and prayers that I've had with him, I don't feel that it is. But I do know that I'm still attracted to women, and, like, I, I don't really know where God is going to take me with that. But I have faith that, that if I stay close to him, he won't lead me astray. I love that, and I love you staying close to God, and and I just love you being honest with your journey. And um, you know, I we've done a couple of podcasts with bisexual people. One man that came out after he was married to his wife, and it was you know he just felt like he needed to. He she was completely open and vulnerable with him with him about everything, and he held this piece of himself to himself. And and once he came out. You know, it, it probably took her a little bit just to process and realize that doesn't mean anything different about him. It doesn't mean anything different about their marriage, but it actually grew them close together. So 
You know, I would guess that um, as more of, you know, that whoever marries you will love you for who you are. And I, yeah, I, I hope that's a man and I hope that's in the temple with kids, but I honor whatever path you feel is right for you. I invite everybody to stay, but I honor whatever path, but I just hope that, you know, this young man that you marry will love you for everything about you, Ray. And I think you're right. You'll come out to him sometime in the dating process. Maybe you'll send him this podcast. <laughs> he can hear it for himself. Um, and that he will just love you for who you are. And he'll recognize that this part about you is God-given. And he may even recognize that this is going to help um, our marriage even be better, um, our companionship to be better, and your ability to serve and reach and maybe even help our own children in ways that are because you just understand so many parts about this world because of your, you being bisexual that he may re recognize this helps you in many ways as a mother and as a wife and as a parent and as, and as a leader in the church. So maybe that's a podcast for 10 or 20 years down the road. You can come back on and tell us how it all worked out. Maybe he can come on with you and you can hold hands together and but just like you're at peace with your sexuality, I think more of our straight members um, are at peace potentially marrying somebody that's bi, or I've had podcasts of our straight members some marrying someone that's gay, and that being known in the dating process and not being necessarily a deal breaker. And sometimes that becomes known later and still doesn't necessarily need to be a deal breaker. And I've seen some of those uh, marriages be we're aware of some that kind of blow up, but I'm also aware of some that are great love stories, even with one straight and gay. So everybody's got to choose their path, just like you taught with working very close to Heavenly Father. But I think we make better decisions when we don't look in the mirror and feel shame about who we are. Mm -hmm. um, when we feel that we're a beloved child of God, that is our doctrine who loves us. And we have mm -hmm. heavenly parents that are equal co-creators that love us. So um, any final thoughts you'd like to share, Ray, before we sign off? Um, just not to sound like a broken record, but just like I want everyone to know that that God loves them and that the atonement is for them. Because I think that one of Satan's favorite lies is to tell us that we are somehow an exception to that rule. And um, also that the atonement isn't just for sinners, that it's for everybody. Um, that like, because I'm, I'm going to share another experience kind of quickly that I had while I was in the MTC, because like I was in the, the MTC was probably the hardest time for me on my mission like there were a lot of harder times that came later but like the MTC was was difficult for me because I didn't get along very well with a lot of the people there um and I I was expressing to to my companion that like I felt like I I'd never really used the atonement because I'd never done anything you know like I'd, I'd never I'd never, you know, made made any really horrible mistakes. And so, like, I felt like I didn't understand Jesus Christ. And she was like, that's not the point of the atonement. And she, she basically told me off and was like, you need to get on your knees and ask for Christ's help because you're dealing with a lot of things right now and you're not letting him help you. And I was like, okay, whatever. Um, 
but, but then I, I took her advice because I was, I was dealing with a lot of stuff. I, I was like really sad. I felt alone. I felt excluded. I felt ostracized. I, you know, and, and I just felt like I wasn't good enough. And so I, I did take her advice. I got down on my knees and, and I told Heavenly Father, like, like, can you please help me? Because I can't do this on my own. And immediately at that moment, I felt a weight lift off my shoulders. I felt like a cage around my heart burst open. Like, and I felt like I could finally breathe again and just exist without feeling so trapped. And that's what the atonement is. Like, it's the strengthening power of Jesus Christ, which I know I'd heard so many times before that, but I hadn't internalized it. I hadn't really accessed it. And I know that it's available to everybody. Like it hasn't, it does not matter what point of your life you're in or what it is you're dealing with. If you feel alone, talk to God about it. If you feel overwhelmed, talk to God about it. He will help you because he loves you and he wants you to succeed. And success looks different for everybody, but it always comes when you're close to God. What a great finishing statement, Ray. I'm just touched by the spirit I feel as you talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ. I love the visual of this cage around my heart. Um, you have a great way of creating visuals in my mind of the power of the atonement. That's a great visual. And it is our doctrine. And thank you for inviting everybody to come unto Christ and bravely sharing your story as a queer Latter-day Saint. Thank you for your service in the Fort Lauderdale mission and all the shout outs you gave. Thank you for being so spiritually mature at 21 to be able to talk about all these things in a thoughtful way. And it just gives me hope for your future and for other people as they hear your story that um, whether they're straight or queer that can better understand how to support each other and love each other as we become the body of Christ that Paul talks about. So go forward in faith. You've got a great life ahead of you, Ray. It's an honor to have you on the podcast. And thanks to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>